All right, we are continuing, if you're just joining us, uh, this week, uh, the past month or month and a half, we've been in the book of Genesis, and uh, so we're continuing our origin series of, uh, in the book of Genesis, and we're in Genesis 11, 1 through 9, and uh, if you're wondering what, why we read Acts chapter 2, um, Erica read Acts chapter 2, sometimes um, in the lectionary, actually, uh, when the church is following uh, scripture passages on Pentecost Sunday, what it's often called, um, these two passages will be tied together, Acts 2 and Genesis 11. Um, Acts 2 being Pentecost and the, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the early church. And Genesis 11 is a story of Babel, the Tower of Babel. And the reason why uh, people combine those because there's a lot of similarities, right? There's languages, many nations, and in, in, Babel, in the Babel story, people spoke one language, and it was mixed. God mixed the languages, and um, you get many languages, and that's how the nations, the people are spread, scattered about the earth, and nations uh, are formed, and uh, tongues are formed, and uh, in Acts chapter 2, um, you get this miracle of the Pentecost where people from many nations come to one place um, and they hear the gospel in their native tongue. And so um, a lot of times traditionally uh, uh, the church has combined these two by saying Pentecost is, reverse, is, is the reversal of Babel. Right? Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. And in that, there's a couple of assumptions. One, the first assumption is that what God does at Babel is a curse, right? That needs to be reversed. So just like in Genesis, we've seen Adam and Eve sinned. There was a curse, right? Uh, Cain sinned. There was a curse. The people sinned and there was a flood. Um, it, at Babel, the people sinned in their hubris. They're building this tower to get to God, to be like God, and God scatters them and mixes their tongues. So that's the curse. By, by pattern, that's the curse. And in Acts, that curse is reversed, right? Reversed to the curse. And, and oftentimes you'll see people preach unity. See, God wants unity and oneness, right? But I think what happens in Acts is, yes, unity and oneness. People are gathered together as one people, many people from different places. But what goes on in Acts, in the Pentecost story, is a, a tension between unity and diversity, right? Flames of fire land on each person. It's individualized, right? But then a spirit comes and rushes through, and all people are gathered together. So there's this oneness and this distinction, and then there's this unity and harmony, right? And if it was a reverse Babel, right, what would happen at Pentecost? What would happen at Pentecost would be people would be coming from different tongues and languages, would all speak one, the gospel would be spoken in one language, and everyone would understand. Is that what happens? No. It says the people heard the gospel in their heart language. Right? In their mother tongue. And they were amazed at what God did. So God doesn't wipe away the distinctiveness of the mother tongues or the cultures. He affirms it and yet provides a way 
that all people can understand in their heart language. Amen? Are you with me? So it's not a reversal, it's a, a babble, it's an affirmation of babble, right? That God affirms people of every nation and ethnicity and language, and He f- makes a way, He finds a way that His gospel and His word would spread out in the diversity of its mediums uh, and delivery systems to the ends of the earth. That's God's hope. And we see that God's hope um, in the New Testament and Acts is the same as God's hope in Genesis, right? What's the mandate in Genesis 1.28? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Spread out, right? And be fruitful and flourish and thrive. Take care of my creation. Take care of one another and live good lives, right? Again, in, as we uh, saw last week in the covenant with Noah and Noah's sons, he says to Noah and his sons, what? The same thing as Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply. Now that you have this blank slate of an earth because the flood came, now, like I told Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth. And then in Genesis 10, you get the table of nations, what a lot of commentators call the table of nations. And it's basically saying Noah's sons had sons too. And this line, this son had this line of sons. And they became this type of people and they spread out. It says that they spread The word spread in um, chapter 10 is uh, repetitive. It repeats itself. Uh, This notion of being fruitful and multiplying and spreading and filling the earth. So this son of Noah formed this people and they spread here. This son of Noah formed this people and they spread here. They were good at whatever, bronze and shaping things out of bronze. And this people, this son had these sons and they spread across the earth in this territory. And so when we hit our chapter, Genesis chapter 11, uh, all the people in all the earth had one language and the same words, and they traveled east and began to spread out. If I were to say, with great responsibility comes, or with great power comes, (laughs) dang it, (laughs) comes what? Great responsibility. Right? Great power comes great responsibility. And you'll hear this all the time, right? If I make fire, everyone's been trying to make a fire, a campfire, when we're at a retreat or camping, and everyone's failing. Every single guy is trying to mansplain how to build a fire. And the fire is not growing. It's not growing. And uh, finally, I'm the one who comes and gets the fire going. I say, I have power. I have made fire! And then everyone will say, with great power comes great responsibility, right? That's the way to like check someone, right? Who's getting too cocky or too full of themselves. What about the great responsibility part? And this comes from Spider-Man, right? Right? Spy, uh, Peter Parker's uncle or whoever he is tells him, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. It's one thing to be strong, it's one thing to be competent, it's one thing to have all the knowledge in the world, it's one thing to be physically fit, but if you don't have responsibility, right, you can't use those powers, you can't use those gifts for good. 
So for me, one of the greatest disappointments as a parent um, or as a teacher, uh, as a leader, as a discipler, is when you give a new freedom to a learning and growing child or a learning and growing person. Take the keys to the car, for instance, right? You give your 16-year-old, good thing I don't have a teenager yet, you give them the keys to the car and they crash it. You're like, ugh! Right? That's a huge disappointment because you've given them a new freedom, right? For instance, I'll say to Isaiah, hey, you just learned how to ride a bike. Now you can take that bike and go ride on the street by yourself. I let Isaiah go onto the street by himself. But we don't live in like suburb. We're still in Seattle proper. And so there's busy side, side streets. So I say to him, you can only ride by yourself on the street if you wear your helmet and if you stay on this block, on this street. Don't go beyond it. I have to be able to step out in the street and see you if I look to the left or the right. He's like, okay, okay, right? And then half an hour later, I go out to the street, look to the left, look to the right. No Isaiah, right? Where is Isaiah? And apparently he had ridden to the next block over to go looking for his friend. That is a disappointment, right? Isaiah's learning. He's got this new freedom. He knows how to ride a bike. He can go further and further away from the safety of the nest. And I let him take that freedom by saying, you can go ride in the street. And as long as you don't do this, right? And he goes and do it, does it? What is that going to do, right? It's a huge disappointment because as a parent, as a loving person, you want to give your kids more responsibility. You want to give your kids more freedom, right? You want them to grow up and explore the world, right? And spread their wings. You want them to grow. As a teacher, you want your students to learn more and more and to be able to do more and more and to have more responsibility, right? As a pastor, you want your parishioners to take on more and more responsibility, uh, to discover their gifts and begin to use them for the kingdom. That gives great delight, right? But the biggest disappointment is when you think, oh, someone is ready, and you give them a responsibility, you give them power and freedom, And they disappoint you, right, by being irresponsible. Then you're like, oh, we're back. You know, we went up two steps, and now we're going back three steps, and we're at phase zero. We got to do this over again. How much do they have to do for them to earn back my trust, right? Are you guys with me? When you're given freedom, you're given a responsibility, The two go together. Freedom, responsibility, power, responsibility. Each one, freedom and responsibility, when taken alone without the other, is a form of captivity. Say that again. Each one, freedom, responsibility, when taken alone without the other, is a form of captivity. Freedom without any responsibility is chaos. Unbounded, freedom is not actually... Uh, freedom because it's, it is now lost and wandering without safe spaces 
to move around in, to, go, to ground it. Are you following? On the flip side, responsibility without freedom is captivity, right? The very core of slavery is the condition of owning all of the obligation to something without ownership of the self, right? It's captivity. All the responsibility without freedom, that's captivity. All the freedom without responsibility and boundaries, that's captivity too. So when we look at the creation story in the Bible, we take some steps back. Um, what we've studied in Genesis, um, you, you get the creation story in account along with all the other stories that immediately follow uh, the creation story. Um, we have this high-powered lens into God and his love for his creation. Right? Love, God, loves to give freedom and responsibility. Love offers space to flourish and thrive and play, but also offers boundaries in order to ensure those spaces are good. So we talked about God creating the earth, and we talked about how he created boundaries, right? Here's the sky, here's the ground, here's the earth, here's the water, and here's you, and here's animals, here's male, here's female. He creates out of chaos, his spirit moves, he speaks order into the world. And this order creates spaces. In separating and delineating, creating boundaries, he creates safe domes or spaces for people to fill or creatures to fill and take space, right? So in creating boundaries, right, you also create spaces, right, for freedom. Right? And just like I say to Isaiah, don't go to the next block, God gave Adam and Eve a boundary, right? You can have all this, right? That tree, that fruit, that tree, 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 that tree. But you can't have over here. See that tree over there? The one single lone tree among a forest of fruitful trees over there. Just don't eat from this. And what do you know? You have all the freedom to eat. Eat, 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 eat. Just, and just don't do that. Right? And what do you know? Adam and Eve eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge. Right? And God has to redo. Right? And actually, this becomes a pattern in Genesis. The people rebel against God's order, right? And God's like, what's going on? Where are you? Right? Adam, where are you? I'm looking for you. Cain, where are you? Where are you at? Right? But God doesn't uh, give up on people. He creates covenants. He gives mercies to Adam and Eve. He said, you will surely die. They don't die, right? He gives them clothing, right, to, to clothe their nakedness. That's a mercy. That's a form of grace and mercy and accommodation. He accommodates them, 
right? To Cain, he gives the mark, mark of Cain, right? You won't die because of this mark, right? I got your back. Even though you killed your brother and you're wandering, I'm gonna make sure people don't hunt you down, right? I'm gonna put this mark, it's a mark of grace, right? And to Noah, in the Noah covenant, the first covenant in scripture, right? God says, I'll never do this again. Right? It, the unconditional covenant. Right? He doesn't say, right, if you do this, as long as you do this, I won't do this. We talked about it last week, right? He says, unconditionally. Right? Unconditionally, I will never destroy the earth again. And I will always God takes all of it. So rebellion, renewal, rebellion. I should walk this way. Renewal, rebellion, renewal, right? And a new plan, a new plan. God recreating, art recreating um, relationship. <clears throat> God creates order and space out of chaos. Into creation, he breathes into humanity and sets people there as stewards. Responsibly, responsibility to have responsibility over creation. He gives a mandate, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God gives people the freedom of will, but then tells Adam and Eve, play, roam, multiply, eat. Just don't eat these fruits. Adam and Eve rebel by eating the fruit, right? Um, and you may ask, I'm, I'm going back a little bit. Uh, you may ask, why did God let man and woman listen to the snake in the first place, right? Why didn't he just stomp on the snake before the snake opened its mouth? Why did he let the snake tempt them into eating the fruit of knowledge of good and evil? God is the ultimate, right? He's omnipotent, omnipresent. He knows all. He can do all. He can control all. He could just shut down that snake. Right? Or he can brainwash Adam and Eve and mean, don't listen, do the Jedi mind trick, don't listen to the snake, don't eat the fruit. Right? But the thing is, God is the ultimate cosmic gentleman. Right? He's the ultimate lover. He loves humanity. And the character of love, again, is the desire to give both freedom and responsibility. Right? God being a gentleman and a lover gives humans freedom, freedom of will, the freedom to move about in this creation freely, to ride, we can ride our bike wherever we want to go. We gotta ride it responsibly, but we can ride our bikes. <clears throat> even, he gives us the freedom, even if that choice is the destructive choice even if that choice is the murderous choice, as, as in the case of Cain, even if that choice leads one further and further away from God himself, right? God allows us to have will to even make choices to move away from him. Uh, next slide. So let's read our scripture. Uh, Genesis 11, one through nine. All the people on the earth had one language and the same words. Uh, when they traveled east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, 
Let's make bricks and bake them hard. They used bricks for stones and asphalt for mortar. They said, come, let's build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. And let's make a name for ourselves so that we won't be dispersed all over the earth. Then the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the humans built. And the Lord said, there is now one people and they have all have one language. This is what they have begun to do. And now all that they plan to do will be possible for them. Come, let's go down and mix up their language there so they won't understand each other's language. Then the Lord dispersed them uh, from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is named Babel, because the Lord mixed up the language of all the earth. From there, the earth dispersed them over all the earth. And the first thing that... Uh, I see here is that um, in the green, I don't know if you can see it, it says, come, let's make, come, let's, and then in verse 7, God says, come, let's go down. And if you listen carefully, it kind of echoes, right, of the creation story. What does God say? Come, come on, let's, let's create man in our image, male and female in our image. Come, let's, let us. And then he speaks, and it's done, right? Here, the roles are reversed. It's the people who are saying, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> Come, let's, right? They've taken over kind of um, the voice, the role of the creator. Um, and one way you can say, oh, they have initiative. It's, you know, they're living out their image as creators, right? Let's, let's plan. Let's do this thing. Right? Um, so that's one thing. Um, but I think next to each one of those come let's, it's underlined and then italicized for ourselves. Thank you, Evan. Wow. For ourselves. I have an assistant. Um, let's build for ourselves. Come, let's make for ourselves. Right? There's a sense of that everything has, the actions of humanity have turned inward. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build for ourselves. Um, and um, so that we won't be dispersed all over the earth. And this, this is where we see the kicker, right? It's if, if, the, if, the, if God's mandate is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, Right? The people have gotten to a place where they're like, we don't want to be scattered. Right? I like staying in one place. Right? I, like to, I want to hunker down. I want to build a city. And I want to be safe. In fact, let's build. We, we know how to make brick. We have power. We have fire. And we have bricks. And these bricks are hard. And with these bricks, we can make towers. And we can make walls. Man, we don't have to scatter. We can defend ourselves against creatures out there, against the elements, against windpocalypse, right? Animals come and can take us. No, we can build walls. We can, bu we can build walls against enemies. We can hunker down and we can build these cities to make us safe, right? So we don't have to scatter. And I think this, this kind of inception Right? It's the same, it echoes of the same as inception of the snake in the garden, right? Because what the snake does 
He doesn't add anything to God's word. Right? He just twists the word. Right? He can't add anything of himself. Right? He just twists it. So what he says is, did God really say not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? Did God really say that? So first he makes them question what they actually heard. Right? It's clear what God said, but did God really say that? And Adam and Eve, Adam, Eve answers, and she says, well, God said we will surely die. But then the snake says, you won't surely die. And then he puts motivation that's not really there. He says, God doesn't want you to know about this fruit and eat of this fruit because he does not want you, in the Latin it's sicut deus, right? To be like God. Right? He doesn't want you to live forever like him. He doesn't want you to be like God. And so you see the core, the core of that rebellion is that what's introduced the inception is, you guys like the, the use of inception? And he plants this little seed of thought right, in people that says, oh, God is petty. Right? Oh, I can be us to be wandering people so we can't stay in one place and build a name for ourselves. We can build cities that we can be like God. My precious. <laughs> Did golly God really say? He just wants to bring glory to himself. <clears throat> and not want you to be like him. Verse four, they said, come, let's build for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves, right? So we won't be dispersed over all the earth. And I think before we say, ha ha, those Babylites, right? They're so stupid, right? This is, think about the things that give us security. Think about how we pursue comfort in our life, right? And I'm gonna push a little, because we own a house, we have a van, right? Seven seat van. We're like, we're living the, you know, comfortable life compared to much of the world, but are those the things, are those the pursuits that are giving you security, right? Like deep life meaning. Or is your dependence on God what is giving you deep life meaning? Are you with me? What is giving you security? If I get that, then I will have arrived. If I get a crystal, podium I have arrived I can be I know that I'm a secure pastor of a secure established church with my crystal podium right what is it for you 
if I buy that house in Seattle, if I get land that job, I can build a name for myself, right? And I won't have to wander. I won't have to beg. I won't have to ask. I won't have to scatter all the time or move or transition, right? We hate transition, right? Some weird people love transition, but it's like, ugh, no. Like, as I get older, I want to transition less, right? Less transition, good. Um, and I don't know that those things of themselves are wrong. But what, God, what we see in Genesis is that God is the giver of life and security, right? I give the good life. I give you what you need. Trust me. I've created these fields, these trees for you. Trust me, right? But there's something in us that's like we don't see the fruit and the abundance over there. We're just like, oh, I just want this, and I want to get it for myself. And if I get it, then I will live. But that's sicut deus, right? To be like God. Um, So you guys know the story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15. Um, I think uh, the Monday night small group is going through it. Um, But I see a lot of parallels in the father who gives freedom and resources to the younger son, right? Just as God gave humanity freedom of will, freedom to do what they want to do um, with their own uh, choices and decisions, and resources. He gives them the garden. He gives them all of creation to be stewards over, to have dominion over, right? And to the younger son, the younger son, in fact, is wanting to break relationship with his father and saying, Give me the inheritance that's due to me. Give me all of the inheritance, right? And um, so he gives it to the father. It's very radical. Gives the son the inheritance. Gives him all the resources and all the freedom. And in fact, the son takes his, that freedom and says, okay, I'm outie, right? It's like, oh, you weren't supposed to make that decision, right? It's always a risk as a parent, right? You, you want to give, son, uh, you have the choice to listen to me or not listen to me, right? Don't ever do that with an eight-year-old, right? They're not going to listen to you, <laughs> right? And I do, I get so disappointed. I think Isaiah will do the right thing. Never. Um, <laughs> eight-year-olds don't get freedom of will, okay? You just... Um, where was I? But the, the younger son does the ultimate, right? Takes freedom and leaves. Breaks the father's heart. Breaks his heart. Right? Here's all the resources, all the freedom. Breaks his father's heart. And uh, um, and the son squanders all of these resources irresponsibly. He has no responsibility, and he squanders it, right? But what do we see about the father? The father is out there looking for the son, right? 
and seeing the sun at a distance runs towards the sun, right? And what does he do again? He puts, he restores the son fully, gives him the family ring, full restoration, full access to the family resources. You're in again, right? This is utterly, utterly crazy, right? How the father gives and gives and gives and gives, and we squander and we squander and we squander and we squander. And yet he takes us back, he takes us back, right? And the older son, Oh, the good older son, right? The father, actually, the older son is lost too, right? Because he's outside of the party and he's pissed. It's like, right? And the father takes the initiative with him too and goes out. Just as he runs to the younger son, he runs to the older son. Come back in. Come into the party, right? That's grace. That's mercy. The father continues to come back over and over. Even when we run, even when we're running, to give us new freedom and new responsibilities. And what we have here is the father's mercy and grace at work again. The people are like the younger son. Right? They're like, let's take these resources, these bricks, this ability, newfound ability to build cities, and let's hunker down. And in fact, let's build the world's greatest tower. And commentators say, like, at the time that Genesis was written, right, the, the canon was being put together, shaped however you look at how the Bible was put together. At this time... Right? There's a lot of comparisons with other kingdoms and empires in the ancient Near East who were building cities and kings were elevating themselves and making their name great. And in some ways, Genesis is an alternative. Right? These kings were like gods. Right? And Genesis is a story about Yahweh, the one God, right? contra to these other civilizations who have many gods or kings who are like gods. Right? And so... Uh, these civilizations are, and these kings are building these cities, and they're building these towers, right, to make a name for themselves, right? King David Zabaluka, right? I'm the greatest king. I have all these people. But the thing is, right, you remember, you know the Egyptian pyramids? Like how, if you've ever watched a documentary on the pyramids, they're massive things, right? And these bricks and stones are huge, heavy things. And you're like, how did people like, lift those things and stack those to make the pyramids, right, with their technology? They didn't have cranes, right? You know how they did it? Slaves, right? Pure manpower, human power, right? So if you look at this, Right? In the building of these cities and these towers, it's actually making a name great for yourself is building an empire by subjugating other people, right? And getting them to build this with you, right? So, um, are you guys with me? I'm, I'm making a little intuitive leaps, but the building of these towers requires, in many ways, commentators say, like, slave labor, Right? putting other people underneath you to build these up to make your name great, 
So when God says, let's mix their languages and spread them about, right? You may say, oh, that's a curse. And this is the kicker, right? That's a curse, bad for them. But who's it bad for? Ah, right? For other people who are put to work on this tower, they're like, woo, right? Freedom, I've been set free. I've been set free. The project has been killed. I don't have to work on it, right? A new freedom. The mixing of the languages builds a new freedom because God is opening the doors once again to, recre- to new creation, to renew his creation and his plan, right? People mess it up. He's opening a way again. And that's Jesus, the story of the gospel, right? People mess it up. God makes a story, a new story to make, make it a renewed and a fresh again, to make a way for us again. And then God mixing the languages, right, and spreading people out. He's making a way for the story again. He's renewing creation. Go, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and spread out, and thrive, and be life, and give life to other people. Don't speak death to other people. Speak life to other people. And I'm going way past time. Um, So I'm going to end with this question. How do we hunker down, right? How do we say, I'm going to build a name for myself? We should build a name for ourselves, right? And as a church, how do we do this? How do we play things safe as a church, right? For some of us, it's like the culmination for some of us is like small groups. If we have great and awesome small groups, right? But I think the problem in small groups also comes when it just becomes a small, small groups come and end to themselves, right? When it's just small groups, but we're not welcoming to new people or we're not being fruitful and multiplying. Does that make sense, right? If the mandate is to be fruitful and to multiply, if our small groups are just, hey, let's share our feelings with each other and never love, never move beyond that, we're not being sent out. We're not being fruitful. We're not filling spaces that we should fill. Um, Buildings, right? And crystal (laughs) podiums, right? In many ways, that could be the promised land for us. We're in this stupid community center. I have to lift this stupid speaker, right? Every week, set up these chairs, and, and then you're almost like, I don't want any more people to come because then I have to bring out more chairs. That's like the worst, right? We don't want people to come because then we have to put out more chairs. That's like the worst form of hunkering down, right? Let's just stay in this 30 chairs right here, right? Um, and so buildings are like, when we get our own building, that's the promised land. Then we have arrived and we can build a name for ourselves. Renew. We have arrived with this building. Right? And how do we play it safe in loving other people? Right? Church, communities, we're good at loving people who are like us. Whether that's the same race, ethnicity, language. Right? Socioeconomic background. Right? Same religion. 
just believers, just reaching out to believers, right? Sexual orientation, right? Homeless, middle class. There are a lot of groups out there that are needing to hear the love of Jesus Christ, right? And there are a lot of ways that we can be stretched as people by loving our neighbor who isn't like us. And so um, that's another way that we can hunker down right, and stay in our safe space. Amen? How do we play it safe as Christians, right? How do we take our, the resources that belong to God, the gifts that belong to God that he's given us, and how do we, uh, how do we uh, act irresponsibly? Irresponsibly, how we play safe as Christians, giving what we teach our children, right? Uh, this would be the last example. For example, my father is a pastor. I grew up a PK. Um, but it's really strange how, like, different things, cultural things fit into what he taught us. They taught us the Christian way, but sometimes it seemed like, Korean way is the way, right? It's Korean and God's way, right? So then they taught us Korean culture, Korean culture, American culture, it sucks, you know? And like, you do this, you do this. And I'm like, what about Jesus culture? And he's like, no, Korean, wait, yeah, I'm a pastor. It'd be confusing, right? We can say, come to church, children, right? Learn about Noah's Ark and God and Jesus and pray, right? But what really are we teaching them? Are we teaching them to be perfectionists, never make a mistake, always perform in school, and be number one at everything you do? Right? Is that what we're teaching them? Or are we teaching them to lay their lives down for others to be Jesus followers? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you've given us much freedom and power and resources, and we are... Uh, to use those uh, for your glory, uh, for the things that you've set before us. Forgive us for the ways that we're irresponsible or that we outright turn and rebel and taking the things that you've given us and made them our own and said, saying, we can do this. We can make, build our own kingdom, kingdoms, build our own empires, build our own worlds um, outside of you. Help us to turn and lean into you and trust you and be dependent on you for our everything again. Make us worshipers of you. In your name, amen.